The Young and Healthy Podcast. You're listening to the Cincinnati Children's Young and Healthy Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Young and Healthy Podcast. I'm Kate Sutter, your host for today. And for our conversation today, we are back in the realm of mental health for um, mental health of our youth, of adolescents in our community. And we're talking specifically about a program called Adapt for Life that we're going to learn more about through our conversation. And joining us as our guests today are Stacy Hoffman, who's the program manager for Adapt for Life. Thanks for being here, Stacy. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. And we also have Pete Mesrin with us, who is uh, one of the program facilitators. Thanks for being here, Pete. Thanks for having us. We're really excited to be here and talk about the program. Love that. Um, before we get into the the specifics of the program and how it helps prepare kids, um, can we just talk a little bit about lay of the land of what's going on with adolescent mental health at the moment? Talked about this several times with several different um, people here at Cincinnati Children's, and it feels like there's a lot going on in this world. Um, Stacey, would you start us off just kind of what are you all seeing in your work? Thank you, Kate. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, teenage years have always been challenging for people, right? It's always a a time of a lot of change, um, a lot of new things. Um, But now, unfortunately, um, things have really seemed to get more difficult for folks going through um, that developmental stage. Um, And unfortunately, uh, what we're seeing is is a lot of disconnection, um, a lot of hopelessness. Um, and really, what we already thought was uh, a pretty high uh, suicide rate, we continue to see becoming more and more concerning. Currently, uh, in the United States, suicide is the second leading cause of death for people ages 10 to 14, as well as um, ages 25 to 34. It's the third leading cause of death uh, for people ages 15 to 24. And what we know is that there are essentially twice as many suicides um, as there are homicides in our country. Um, Unfortunately, we hear a lot um, about the tragedy of homicide, um, but we we just don't hear about the suicides uh, in terms of how often, frequently, how many families and communities are being affected by the tragedy of suicide. The truth is that we know that suicide is preventable, that uh, we can't stop all suicides, but there is some work that we can do to help reduce the number of suicides. We know that 50 to 70% of people who attempt suicide talk about their thoughts, feelings, and plans before they do anything, before they act on those thoughts. And for our kids, two-thirds of them uh, will tell a friend that they're feeling suicidal before they tell anyone else. So we are getting some uh, heads up in some cases, and we really, what we want to see is is our uh, communities make the most of those opportunities. Mental health is is a challenge for every We know that one in every five kids ages 13 through 18 will have a mental health diagnosis, and 50% of those happen before the age of 14. So very young. We generally think about these things as happening later in life, but 50% by the age of 14, 75% by the age of 24. So the reality is that um, a lot of our youth is being affected by mental health challenges. And unfortunately, it only makes it harder for them because people don't share their experiences. Mm-hmm. And kids, uh, you know, certainly, I mean, adults may have a little bit of a better perspective, but not completely when it comes to the 
the subject. Certainly, our kids and adolescents um, really feel alone uh, in in their thoughts and feelings and experiences, and and part of that is is obviously um, a result of the stigma around mental health, um, and that people, uh, families, communities uh, continue to have a difficult time talking about the subject. Mm-hmm. The one statistic I think that's really interesting is that now there's an average of 11 years between when an adolescent or child or someone recognizes a mental health challenge, that first symptom, and when they actually get help for it, 11 years. That's far too long, right? And that would never, we wouldn't dream of letting time span go by if someone's talking about a potential concussion Mm -hmm. or, uh, you know, asthma or something like that, right? Those are things that we would attend to right away. But unfortunately, it's very different when it comes to mental health. Yeah. So, Pete, what are some of the most common stressors that teens are managing that you see when you're out facilitating the program? Yeah, so I think some some factors that, that heavily impact teen and, and adolescent mental health these days. One is, is social media. I think a lot of us engage in social media. We think about the positives, the connection, but a lot of research shows that people who regularly use social media actually have an increase in depression because what usually happens is you feel left out. People post their highs, not their lows. Um, so this, it's you know the party I didn't get invited to. So feeling in, increased isolation and, and aloneness. Um, bullying is is a big issue these days. Bullying kind of always has been. We were reading an article from from SAMHSA the other day that says more than two thirds of children in the U.S. reported being bullied within the past school year. So it really is uh, understated how big of an impact that has on teen mental health, and that piggybacks on the back of social media as well. Because when I was a kid, if you were bullied, three o'clock bell hits, you go home for the night and you're away from those bullies. But now with social media, they can get access all night long on the weekends, et cetera, um, which can be quite overwhelming. We've also seen since since COVID, anxiety, depression, and as Stacey mentioned, suicide rates have really, really increased. That kind of social isolation, that, that mm-hmm. feeling disconnected from others. Teachers that that we work with in the classrooms just talk about kind of the the maturity levels and how that has kind of factored in over the past couple of years. The distress tolerance, kids get way more stressed out than they were pre-COVID, um, really have a difficult time engaging uh, socially as well. And then as always an underlying level, which which we know here working at Children's Hospital is trauma. You know, and, and again, looking at, at SAMHSA, some, some statistics that, that I saw the other day is that um, more than two thirds of uh, children report undergoing a traumatic event prior to the age of 16 in our country. One in seven experienced child abuse or neglect in the past year in our country. And I think that's that's one of those things that you just can't really see the effects of, but you, you definitely do in, in mental health impact and behaviors as well. So next, will you tell us about Adapt for Life, about the program, how it works, and what it's intended to do? Oh, happily. Um, so Adapt for Life is a facilitator-led mental wellness and suicide prevention program that's offered in the natural environment of the school setting. So students are able to engage in um, mental health education and wellness. They learn about their own stress. Um, what are the things that bring them stress in their lives? How can they note or how can they recognize when they're becoming stressed or uh, increasingly agitated? And then, and then what they do with, uh, with those feelings and thoughts. So every student who 
participates in the program um, ultimately develops their own personal plan for a time of crisis. Um, so we walk the students through everything from, you know, what are the things that bring me stress? Um, how can I recognize that in my body? What are the things that I can do that work for me, given my current situation, to help address those feelings that I'm having? And then when do I need to ask for help? Um, we also talk with students about the, the shared experience that all of us need help, all of us have bad days, and what they can do, who they can reach out to, what are the kinds of things that they can say, you know, how can they use uh, their vocabulary and their expression to articulate their situations so that others can understand. Um, additionally, if a student is concerned about a friend, um, we talk with the students about what do you do, what can you say, how can you support your friend uh, during this difficult time. Fantastic. Thank you for that, Stacey. So my family has a little bit of experience with Adapt for Life as my daughter um, participated in her school last year. And one of the things that really stuck with her had to do with the stories that the program shares. Um, and I'd love to learn a bit more about how stories are part of it and how you use them to connect with students and what impact that typically has. You know, we frequently find that uh, in our surveys that some of the, the videos and the stories um, of real life people going through mental health struggles are some of the most impactful things that kids really resonate with. Some of our videos come from a partnering group, one in five, and they produce stories of local teenagers who have gone through mental health struggles. And again, the, the kids just can identify so much with that. So I think it's kind of a hook and really illustrates the point. Our program is very interactive in a number of ways. So beyond, you know, videos of stories, we use uh, case studies um, of, you know, people dealing with different issues that are very common amongst uh, adolescents and teenagers. In, in our society. And part of the case study, as well as role plays and, and other um, tools that we use, part of what we do is we learn a skill and then we use these examples to apply the skill. So how should this friend have responded when her friend told her this? Um, we have an experience journal that every student gets. It's a really lovely notebook that has a ton in it, but part of it is a journaling exercise as well. So we really invite the students to kind of think from your perspective, how does this hit home for you? Um, as well, and really kind of like actively apply those skills through the use of, of stories of people who have dealt with struggles that, again, we know through our surveys and our results that are the, the same issues that our kids are dealing with. I feel like that helps make a connection in so many ways. If you see somebody else who's experienced it, I think using those as a learning tool is incredibly impactful. I know that it was for my daughter, for sure. If you don't mind, I think Please. one of the other things that we do in the program is um, we have anonymous real-time surveys that mm -hmm. we use so that when we talk about different experiences, um, students don't have to necessarily be vulnerable and sharing those things directly, but instead give them an opportunity to see up on the board, hey, all of my, um, many kids in my class have felt misunderstood. Many kids in my class have felt um, stressed or unable to uh, cope with a situation. And that is so powerful when you have those mm -hmm. students sitting in the classroom. Talking about other people is one thing, right? Other people's stories. But when you bring it to that here in my own classroom, this percentage of students who are struggling or who have struggled or whatever the, uh, the topic is, is, is something that you can't recreate through a lecture, if you will. It's just that authentic experience. Absolutely. So 
I know when we were um, learning a bit about the program to be able to um, ask intelligent questions to you both, it looks like there is a framework that the program operates within. Will you tell us a bit about just kind of the different pieces of the framework and what, um, you know, behaviors and life skills you're uh, teaching kids along the way, as well as helping them understand themselves better? So so ADAPT um, is an acronym. The framework provides um, steps to go through for students to help themselves or someone else. Um, first of all, it all starts with gaining awareness, right? We can't do anything about something that we're not aware of. Um, and the truth is that we all see things the different way. So um, and really helping ourselves and others begins with awareness. So the task in this step of the framework is really to pay attention to what's going on around you in very deliberate ways. Like, what are, what are we seeing? What's going on? What, what am I actually seeing? What am I actually hearing? What are the connections that are present? What seems typical in this situation? What maybe seems off or confusing? Again, just expanding our awareness uh, and maybe paying attention to um, what's not right um, versus uh, sort of taking everyday things for uh, for granted, if you will. So the first, the first task is really increasing that awareness. And the second is describing. The D in the draft stands for describe. So connecting our words to our experiences helps us to understand us. So the, the main focus during this skill is that we want to teach kids that during times of stress, it's really important to pay attention to what am I thinking and what am I feeling? And that can be hard to do because as we know, all know, when we're stressed, it does not feel good. Um, but by paying attention to our experience on those two different levels gives us really important information about what we need to do to take care of us and manage and resolve that situation. As also as part of that step or skill, we identify what are your typical stressors? What are the things that trigger stress in your experience? And most of those things for most of us are things that we have to deal with over and over again. So that really allows us to kind of identify a step further, how do we typically respond during those times of stress? Uh, because our thoughts and our feelings are some of the main drivers of our behavior. Um, and then we kind of extrapolate a step further and say, when you're then that stressor happens and you're thinking this way and feeling this way, and we also teach pay attention to you know what's going on in your body because that's a good indication that you're getting stressed out. Um, how do you typically respond? What behaviors do you do? And what are the outcomes or the results of those behaviors? Um, and we kind of start looking at, we want to start focusing on healthy behaviors to respond with stressful situations that tend to help us out, help us to cope, to help us through mm -hmm. that situation mm -hmm. versus a lot of us have some unhealthy behaviors that we use when we're stressed. And those tend to create more problems than we have to deal with. So that's kind of the focus. And most of our skills have kind of a self-other component because we're talking about during times of stress and especially during times of crisis, we want to get help for ourselves, very important. And we want to see when somebody else is struggling so we can reach out and help them. So for this particular step for ourselves during times of stress, pay attention to our thoughts, our feelings, what's triggering it. We want to identify that, what's going on in our body, helps us understand um, you know, why we're acting the way we do and the, the results or the outcomes of our behaviors. Um, for the other side of it, we don't know when our friends, our family, anybody else around us, you know, what they're thinking and feeling. But the one thing we can always see in somebody else is their behavior. So we teach students, and, and sometimes we have the opportunity to work with adults too, the best way to know when somebody's struggling is paying, paying attention to changes in their behavior. Mm -hmm. So for example, we might have a friend who's like super
super happy-go-lucky kind of person, really outgoing, always smiling, never seems to get mad, never complains. But they come to school one day and they're really agitated, like every little thing's setting them off. They're going on rants, they're getting into arguments. So we teach the kids that's an indication, hey, something's going on with my friend. I want to reach out, offer some support, make sure they're okay. So those were the A and D. The second A is what? That stands for assessing. Okay. So once we've become aware and we've described what's happening around us, it's time to decide what to do next, right? So assessing how we or others are managing stress allows us to ask for help or to help others, especially if there are warning signs uh, that need to be addressed. So one of the first things that we call out with students is obstacles, because we know that with the stigma around mental health, obstacles are very, very real, and they present uh, a challenge for our youth. Um, so we, we talk about those, you know, letting folks know that it's okay to not be okay, that, that treatment, we know that treatment is available and effective. You know, a lot of times kids say, what if I can't get better? We know that uh, in the field, we know how to help people who are struggling with mental health challenges, even suicidality. Um, but unfortunately, again, it's getting them to the help because it's stigma that we need some help with. So um, we talk with kids um, about how to overcome those obstacles. The other task when it comes to assessing is really looking at that behavior change that Pete was talking about and the severity of that change. You know, some uh, behavior change is simply behavior change, other behavior changes are, are warning signs or indication that we need to do something. Um, you know, a couple of uh, these examples um, that I'd like to share are um, when folks are talking about wanting to die or kill themselves, maybe like researching um, methods on the internet or things like that, actually getting means together. You know, are they talking about feeling hopeless or being a burden to others, being an unbearable pain or not having any purpose? Um, are there significant changes either in, you know, general behaviors, sleeping, eating, hygiene, functioning? Another warning sign that we see that a lot of folks um, don't have understanding about is um, a sudden sense of calm. And, and the reason that I'm sharing that one is because um, we know that it's a very dangerous time for people. If, if an individual is really struggling, perhaps they're considering suicide. Um, they, um, they're obviously in unbearable pain and then they get an idea about suicide and it seems like, oh, that's the answer to my problems. And what we see a lot of times is a lift in mood at that point where this, the person has sort of, um, resigned themselves to the plan for suicide and they see this temporary lift in mood. So we let students know that if you have a friend who's been struggling and one day they come in and they're remarkably more quiet or more peaceful to go ahead and ask them directly about suicide. So if people are concerned, uh, about suicidality and someone that they care about, we encourage them to ask directly about suicide. You know, we want to just say point blank, are you thinking about suicide? Are you talking about killing yourself? Back in the day, we used to think that you could be giving someone an idea when you would ask a question like that. Study after study has now debunked that. And we know that people who are considering suicide, they want to be asked. By far, they answer that question honestly. And so we want to ask them directly. If someone says, yes, I am having thoughts of suicide, we want to make sure to ask them if they have a plan or if they've thought about how they would do that. We know that there is a continuum of suicidal ideation. Someone who has taken the time to define a plan 
uh, is, is much uh, more dangerous to themselves than other kinds of ideation. So um, certainly when there are concerns about suicide, we are encouraging folks to uh, call 988. That's a wonderful new tool that we have in the past year um, from the Federal Trade Commission, which uh, is like 911 for a medical emergency. It's 988 for a mental health emergency. So that is always available. Families are also welcome to go to the nearest emergency room. Uh, and and uh, here at Children's, in order to help the flow, you know, we do ask families to go ahead and call PERC if possible, the uh, Psychiatric Intake and Response Center, the team that responds to those concerns in the emergency room. That phone number is 513-636-4124. Sometimes just letting folks, uh, schools or parents or anyone who may be aware of a student coming to the ED, letting us know about that can help us uh, smooth out that process and anticipate that, that, uh, that child coming into the emergency room. So one quick clarification, Stacey, if a family finds themselves in a crisis that they don't even feel like they have time to make a phone call, they should be headed straight for the emergency room. Yes? Yes. Absolutely. And I, I have heard also that calling PERC is helpful in many ways. So if you feel like you have a moment to breathe and can make that call, please go ahead and do it because there are extremely helpful people on the other end of the line who can help point a family in the right direction. But if you don't feel like you have time, don't take the time is an okay message to share. Yes. Yes. A big part of that phone call is what does this family need in the moment? What can we do to help them stay safe? Um, and it doesn't necessitate automatically equate a trip to the emergency department. Sometimes we can, you know, they'll stay on the phone sometimes for, I mean, Stacey and I have been on the phone with people sometimes for more than an hour trying to say, let's try this. Let's do this. Let's, you know, make sure we watch them and we were able to kind of resolve that or help them resolve that on the phone while also connecting them to resources and getting them the further help they need to avoid those crises from arising in the future. Fantastic. And just to make sure that we're clear again, so PERC, it is our psychiatric intake response center and it is a team, including a team of mental health experts on the other end of the phone that are specifically Cincinnati Children's employees who can help families through whatever comes next. You're exactly right. And the other really great thing about this intake team that we have is not only does it uh, consist of clinicians, but it also includes an intake staff that has knowledge about all of the mental health services in the community, not just children's, so that when a family has a need for a particular service, perhaps they have um, restrictions based on you know resources or, or insurance, Again, the PERC staff can talk with them to help create those connections. Like, So if you have unreliable transportation, here is an organization in your area that, that you can walk to or that's on the bus line and really try to get ahead of any of those obstacles and challenges for families by making those connections. So people don't have to call all around the city necessarily mm -hmm. to get that um, the right provider for them. PERC can help um, hurry that process along. And because we might possibly reach listeners um, who are outside of our particular community, the 988 number, the national yes. number, is going to work anywhere. And that's going to be a great resource for somebody who needs help right away. Absolutely. Fantastic. Are we on to P&T? and In the framework? Okay. So the P and ADAPT stands for plan. So planning how to voice concerns for ourselves and others will make it easier to take action when it matters the most. 
so like one of our core messages is that stress is a part of life, that stress is going to happen. And uh, we have to be active in managing the stress in our lives to maintain good mental health. So knowing that stress is going to happen, we help the students create a plan. And this is um, one of the big areas that we really work in that journal we were talking about that we mm -hmm. give them of, you know, we, we've identified your triggers. What are the things that cause you stress in your life and how you typically respond? So the next time that comes up, how would we maybe cope differently? What are some coping skills that when you're really feeling stressed, triggered, agitated, whatever the case might be, helps you to calm down, helps you to maybe take your mind off or distract you or what's upsetting you? More importantly, to get it out. Where are the places where you feel safe and relaxed, et cetera? So we help them kind of come up with their own list of healthy coping skills. And again, we walk them through kind of scenarios of applying. What would you do in this situation? And one of the scenarios includes I'm super stressed out. I'm overwhelmed. I try my healthy coping skills, but I'm still not feeling any better. So that's a really good indication you need to get some help from somebody else. So we help them identify their go-to people. Who would you go to? Who are some friends, some adults? And sometimes, unfortunately, a lot of kids in our community have some difficult home and family situations. So they'll say, I don't talk to anybody. I don't trust anybody. So sometimes we'll have those conversations of, well, who is an adult maybe in the school, maybe a, a teacher that you've met that you can try. And again, going back to that message of, and, and some of our real life stories really reinforce the message that people really do care and are willing to help more so than we realize. And if you take that risk and reach out, chances are you're going to help feel better. Part of the planning stage also is we talk about what's what's the best way to voice concerns for yourself. A lot of us are not used to talking about our feelings and that can make it very difficult and challenging. So we kind of look at what are see here some tips that if you do these sort of things that it will really help people understand where you're coming from and what you're going through. And we also do some tips for, you know, again, the other side of the coin of helping others. What are some things that you can do, ways to talk to people that's going to help them open up and express themselves more versus if you do some other things, they might shut down and maybe not get the help they need as a result. Mm -hmm. um, and we kind of plan for all aspects of those very difficult situations because the topics we're talking about in the program are very heavy. We talk a lot about stress depression, anxiety, and unfortunately, suicide. Mm -hmm. So if you have those concerns for yourself or somebody else, that's an extremely difficult conversation to have. So we kind of plan for all aspects, even how would you let that person know that you want to talk, um, that you want to have that conversation? What's the best setting to do it? How do you set yourself up for success? So we want them to leave with a really good plan of if I'm ever struggling to this extent, this is exactly the steps I would take. These are what I would try. This is who I would talk to. And then vice versa. If I notice, again, those changes in behavior, if I'm really worried about my friend mm -hmm. and I can overcome those obstacles that Stacey was talking about, because so, it's so hard sometimes to get involved with other people. We have a million different reasons why we don't want to do that. And we really reinforce that. Um, if it's somebody seems like they're struggling, chances are they are. Chances are they're going through something and you can make a big impact in their life, legitimately even saving their life if they're suicidal if you reach out. So how do we overcome those obstacles and what do we say to them so that we get them the help they need? I like that idea of a plan and I like the, you know, I, I think a lot of what's striking me as you're explaining this to me is that this is stuff that you don't have to participate in the program. You know, if we're, if we're reaching parents, again, outside of our area or even adults who need to hear this, these are all things that, you know, I can take this and make a plan for myself for what am I going to do when I'm feeling these things? And I, I think it's all so 
so actionable and tangible, which is a really, you know, important part of something that so that people can carry forward in their lives. So we have tea. The last one. Yes. So tea is really putting it all together. Um, We refer to tea as talk, tackle, and thrive. And uh, the truth is that we all have stress, but our stress does not define us, right? We are so much more than our stress. But dealing with our stress in healthy ways will help us reduce the negative effects of stress on our lives. So, you know, when it comes to mental health, we need to talk. We need to talk because we um, have these shared experiences that will help reduce our feelings of isolation. We need to talk because we need to break down that stigma and let other people know that it's okay to talk about it. And we need to talk in order to get help or to help others, right? So talking is a really important part. Um, and, and tackling, uh, you know, I, I think all of us have probably had a problem that we've tried to ignore. Um, and unfortunately, what we know is sometimes we kind of lose track of that or um, we have things can kind of we hide things and we don't really recognize them until they kind of come up in an un- unexpected way. So really having a plan for how to manage our stress, how on a daily basis, whether we're feeling stressed today or not, what can I do today to help my stress tomorrow or next week? And, and so really empowering folks to know that, you know, it's a, managing stress um, is a very personal thing. Feelings are extremely personal and really making a priority out of taking care of ourselves and our mental wellness and, and what makes us feel good and what brings us meaning each and every day because we know how those things, when they, when they, they build up, can create a lot of stress. So it's really about how to um, manage um, uh, mental wellness, how to set up sort of a program for ourselves or within our families to allow us uh, to have those benefits. So I love that you're talking about families setting up, you know, using using the framework, using some of these steps to have a plan within a family. What cues can parents be looking for to indicate that their child is struggling? What are kind of the the most important ones? So like we talked about earlier, you know, one of the big things you want to look for is changes in behavior. And like Stacy alluded to, you know, during the, the second A assessing, you know, sometimes we all have off days. Like maybe it's very true for me right now. You didn't sleep very well the night before. Mm-hmm. So you're a little grumpy the next day. Maybe you haven't had breakfast. You're a little hangry before lunch bell rings. Right. We all have those days. And certainly mm-hmm. we could still use some support at those times to get through those challenging times. But when the change in behavior is very drastic, when somebody is acting very, very different from how they normally act. That's a big red sign. Another very big one that we see in in teenagers and adolescents is is withdrawing. So if your son or daughter is engaged in in sports or other activities and all of a sudden they kind of drop out and, you know, stop doing that. Um, But that's not because they've gone on to something new. You know, spending a lot of time alone, maybe not engaging with their their friend group as well is, is a very big one to look at changes in mood. Maybe they're more irritable or seem really more down. Mm-hmm. Um, those are kind of kind of the main things that we look for. But I think that general caveat of when something seems different, usually there's a reason for that. So we want to kind of normalize having those open conversations and, and uh, making it okay in our household to say, what is going on? You know, you notice today you seem a little down. What's up? So I'm curious what help from parents, actual help looks like sometimes because kids often respond differently to inquiries from a parent than they will from a friend or somebody who plays a different role in their life. How can parents have those conversations in ways that that, that kids will be open to talking more? 
That's a very good point. And changes are a big part of adolescence in general, right? And one of the biggest changes is the the importance of the peer group. So socialization typically open conversations typically are more with friends than they are with parents. So that can create kind of a natural challenge. Um, so we really want to try to normalize that as a part of life. And I think one one way to do that is by modeling, you know, that check-in, like how this is how my day was, or I'm feeling really stressed. Mm-hmm. This is what helped me to feel better. Um, again, kind of an example of normalizing that stress is a part of life. Um, that we have to be active in managing our triggers and that it's okay, not only okay, but important to talk about it, um, to let somebody else know what's going on. And, and typically when we do that, we, we tend to feel better. And I think another thing too is a lot of times why, why kids don't open up, especially during the teenage years to their parents is because they're afraid of getting in trouble. They're afraid of an overreaction. They're afraid of this, that, or the other. Um, but we just want to, again, help them understand that those actionable steps can help them change their situation and how they feel. I think a lot of times when we're dealing with something big, it just feels like this is just my reality. You know, I don't, I can't do anything to influence it or change it. So really developing those messages early mm-hmm. that you're not alone. I'm always here for you. Normalizing, letting children own their feelings is a huge one too. Um, sometimes, and, and friends do this, parents do this, we all do this. Sometimes people try to talk us out of the way we're feeling. And usually that comes from a very genuine good place because nobody wants their child to feel bad. It's natural to want to comfort them and, and, and just say, it's okay, you know, it's not that big of a deal or whatever, but we don't want to run the risk of invalidating their experience. We want to make sure our reaction allows them to have their emotions in that moment. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're hitting their brother or sister or throwing things against the wall. Those behaviors are not okay, but the anger behind it is a natural reaction to what's going on. So I think kind of modeling what's a great way or in our house we don't punch a brother and sister. Instead, maybe if we need some physical activity, we go outside and jump up and down 25 times. But helping them instead of saying, don't feel that way, say, when you feel that way, let's do this instead. If a family sees that one of their children um, is experiencing something more than just a typical stress or are worried that they're not finding the right way to work through it, what are some of the indications that it's time to ask for some professional help? Kate, that's a really good question. And I think that comes up a lot uh, in the program, um, you know, where where kids say, I try this and I try that and I'm not feeling better. Um, And I think, again, like we talked about in some of our, in our plan skill, if what you're doing isn't working. So if a parent, if like you tried everything and those concerns consist and, and you really feel like you're doing all those other steps, I think, again, normalize asking for help. That's okay. You know, we all go through tough times. Sometimes some of us need some help from a professional and and just kind of like educating them about therapy um, and, and what to expect. And I think sometimes a therapist in an initial consultation can help a parent like understand how to explain that to their child. But um, you know, I think but my my children have been in therapy when they've had struggles. Um, and part of what helps them do that is go to see a counselor when I have struggles myself. So just kind of normalizing, you know, if if we try what usually helps us through a normal mm-hmm. stressor and things aren't getting better, having a professional that can help us find different ways to work through this problem um, can, can be really beneficial. So I would say if those kind of normal helps don't, don't, don't go away, if the problem persists for a while, one thing we kind of look at 
when it's a stressor versus, you know, maybe something more significant is like functional impairment, right? Mm -hmm. So when it's making whatever issue is making it harder to get through whatever role they have, is it student, teammate, son, mm -hmm. daughter, you know, that kind of thing, when it's really doing that impairment, sometimes getting that professional help can really be a good idea. And I would add, if, if, if a, obviously, if a child's in a state of crisis, you know, everything is, you know, we need to take the child to the hospital and, and take that very uh, seriously. Mm -hmm. um, but if there are cases where someone may be struggling a little bit, there's not a concern for safety, I think it's also helpful to talk to the child. You know, when when do you think it's time to get help? Or what what about what's happening in your life right now um, isn't working for you? Or what what's what's frustrating you? Or what are you finding the hardest? And, and allow the child to sort of say that in their own terms right? Mm -hmm. How to qualify or quantify that because we're not going to mo motivate them as a parent um, by my agenda. Um, the best way I'm going to get that child to, to invest in the therapeutic process is, is through their own understanding, their own, their own view, their own perspective of what the benefits of that would be. So, you know, especially if we're able to talk about things ahead of time before they get to a crisis place, then you're sort of establishing that um, as sort of the go-to, right? We want to uh, talk, tackle, and thrive. We want to continue to do the things that are helpful to us. And, and uh, if we need to um, to ask for some more help, then, then certainly everybody kind of knows that it's what's happening because you've already sort of laid down that groundwork. And if a family finds that they're, um, you know, kind of at that point where they would like to ask for some additional help, School-age kids can ask a counselor at school. Those people can be a resource to finding somebody that can help further. Um, pediatricians, pediatricians, absolutely, can help um, find somebody. Anybody else that we should add to that list that can somebody that you would be comfortable with? Because I think that's a little bit overwhelming to to find a therapist. I, if I don't know where to start, those are probably two good places that they can go. Definitely. And again, PERC is, is uh, mm. a resource um, as well for families. You can call your insurance too. Um, they'll give you a list of providers that are in your network. Um, a lot of insurance has kind of a member services mm -hmm. number. And a lot of times they're very willing to try to walk you through those steps, just like our PERC intake coordinators do, because it's a preventative care. So they're, they're heavily invested in getting you that care as well. And I, I like that you said, you know, counselors are at the school. Pretty much all school districts in our area these days have a lead mental health provider agency. So there are counselors that are typically available in the school, mm -hmm. but maybe, you know, that counselor, the, the child doesn't know them, but they're really comfortable with their teacher or their coach or whomever. And schools now more than ever are really understanding the impact of mental health on everything, on the student's life and well-being, academics. It's all, you know, impacted by mental health. So there's a lot of trainings and a lot of teachers know that they have a closer relationship than the administrators and the people in the office, right? So if a student opens up to a teacher, they know the protocol to follow to get them involved most of the time with those those people. So I, that's why I kind of, we, we just use the broad term trusted adult. So I can't define who that is for you. It could be your aunt, it could be your coach, it could be your dance teacher, it could be your teacher, um, what have you, it could be your neighbor. Um, but just who do you feel comfortable with? Um, and that usually makes it a lot easier to open up which is going to, uh, you know, really guide you to the help you need. So as we wrap up our time together, talking about the program as well as helping kids have the skills that they need to, to identify when they need help and when their friends might need help, what do you want 
adolescents or teens or anyone actually who may be experiencing some feelings of sadness, anxiety, depression, even thoughts of suicide, what would you want them to know right now? What words would you give them to help them? I I would want them to know, first off, that they are not alone. Everybody struggles sometimes um, and that there are people that can and want to help. And that things can get better, that our feelings are not permanent they can and they will change as well as our thoughts. And the biggest way to change those thoughts and feelings is by reaching out to somebody that you trust. And again, we kind of like help them. That's part of our discussion of obstacles, which Stacy mentioned. A lot of times people have the impulse to maybe get some help. Um, Pay attention to what stops you. Pay attention to what keeps you from reaching out. When you notice somebody struggling at school and you think they look really down, and you have thoughts of maybe I, maybe I should see if they're all right, but you don't. Why not? And whenever possible, we want to overcome uh, those obstacles because, like, like, and we we hammer this home uh, throughout our program. Again, you're you're not alone. Things can and will change, and you definitely won't feel like this way forever. So take that risk. Um, if you do get help, you tend to feel better. If somebody seems like they're struggling and you reach out, you could make a huge impact in their life, um, even saving their life if they're suicidal. And that happens all the time. Again, our experience working at psychiatry intake in the emergency department, Stacy and I were two of those evaluators, um, about two thirds of all the kids that come to the hospital who are feeling suicidal get to us because they told a friend and that friend told somebody else to get them help. So really it happens many, many times every day where by somebody reaching out and and noticing somebody struggling and trying to help that they legitimately save their life. I think the other thing that I would add too is even a greater call to action, right? I mean, we want students when they participate in our program to feel empowered around the soft topic of mental health, how they can contribute to their own mental wellness and and those uh, the mental wellness of others as well, um, to be conscientious of language uh, and how our words, the words that we use, affect people's willingness uh, to reach out for help when they need it, and, and, and really just empathy, right? We're all kind of in this together. Um, so sort of a greater call to action, I think, just for, for awareness um, and respect and care for mental health. Uh, in general and how we on a sort of a daily basis can contribute uh, to the mental wellness of others. Those were some excellent wise words to end our time on. Thank you so much for wrapping that up beautifully. And I absolutely hope that we have helped some individuals through this conversation have some ideas for what they can do. Um, And we will put information in the description of the podcast for somebody we might have reached who's interested in the program and learning more about implementing it and how that works. So we'll make sure that people know how to get in touch if they have questions about that. Thank you, Stacy, for joining us today. Thank you so much, Kate, for having us. Absolutely. Thank you, Pete, for your time. We appreciate you being here. Thank you, Kate. This is a lot of fun. Appreciate it. Absolutely. We have been talking today about the Adapt for Life program, and we're so grateful you joined us for this episode of Young and Healthy. We'll see you next time. This episode of Young and Healthy was recorded on June 28, 2023. The content of the Young and Healthy podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. Today's episode was produced by Kayla McNeil, and our theme music was created by Stephen Grieco. Thanks for listening. Follow Cincinnati Children's on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.